So, I've established here in one of these podcasts that the goal of this podcast in general is to kind of organize a number of overlaps uh, present in global philosophy, global history, historiography, archaeology, culture, theology, traditions, etc. So this is the goal. And I also kind of establish why that is the goal. So if you haven't heard that, this whole podcast, this whole edition might seem a little out of place or you might, uh, you might have questions that have already been answered. Nevertheless, I find it, I find it interesting now that people are becoming, as always, becoming interested in the past and more interested in how things, where things come from and, and are they related? I think that's one of the main questions that comes up when we're talking about ancient traditions. Are they related somehow? Is one related to the other one? Uh, people like to, you know, in the extreme sense, they like to do this and relate our human existence to the animal kingdom and say and at one point there was this blur where we were monkeys and this, that, and the other. You all know that one. Nevertheless, uh, the as the years have gone by, it's become harder and harder to prove that with the archaeological record going down into the ground. What seems more obvious as the years go by is that we have less and less of a real clear idea of how that happened. And Darwin was probably all wrong about there being some kind of very smooth transition because we'd see a very smooth transition in the soil of different species, you know, half dog, half cat, etc. We don't, though. Use that as an example. I'm not using that as an, as an exact example. There are things that are related. Dogs and cats are related, but... There are things, dogs and whales are related, believe it or not. It's a weird one. But, so I find the whole idea here of overlap is, is just pushing. It's in, the, it's, in the human, it's in the human mental DNA to try to figure out if things are related. I think it's just, you know, an instinct, an instinctive thing that all species do. Humans are especially intellectual. So they intellectualize things, and when you're trying to figure out what the next, what this uh, strange person or what this strange piece of information, foreign piece of information is, you you try to see by relating it to things you do know, and that's the uh, that's the basics of, of overlap is to look at things that are old and see how they're related to other old things, and then look at those old things. With clear, with clear lines of connection into our present age that can show us that, wow, they might, these, all these things that we see as different nowadays coming from different places might at one point come from one place or from two primordial places or from three places 
or from 18 places, but it's, it's up to the investigator to, to be objective about that and to look for the overlap regardless of where it leads them. So some people, they like, for example, see, it's, it's such a big subject, as you see. I can talk about a lot of things here. Anyone can talk about a lot of things that are overlapped. But this is what the whole point is. is why, why talk about this at this point? Because it, it comes back to information. It comes back to being able to use information. Because if you're in for information, if you like to accumulate information just to accumulate information, there is an issue with, some, with stuff like this. That this is, the point of this isn't to just accumulate information. It is so that we can apply the information because we are already applying information that we've learned from other sources about other subjects and about this subject as well. Let me take, for example, the, uh, the whole concept of the Vedic, of the Vedic understanding that I've taken very seriously in my life. I can take it much serious, much more seriously, I guess you could say. I could take it more seriously if I wanted to, but I've taken it more seriously than any other part of my life for the last, I don't know, 16 years or so. So I've been into this for a, for a good time now and I like it. And so there are certain parts of it that I feel very comfortable applying uh, throughout my life. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's a, just to, to share the, one of the random details of Vaishnav culture, there's a, there's kind of like a saying that wherever a Vaishnav goes, they leave it a little cleaner when they leave. And sometimes for me, all that means is like, I don't know, I'm in the bathroom or something and I see something and I throw it out instead of like just stepping on it or kicking it to the side or just looking at it as some piece of garbage on the ground in the bathroom, whatever bathroom I'm in, public or not, there's a way to have left it a little bit cleaner. I'm in the, I'm just washing my hands. I gotta go and there's some hair in the, in the bathroom. I use some of the water to push the hair down the drain. It's, I'm not trying to be the Vaishnav. I just think it's a cool thing. If everybody did it, we'd have a cleaner place. Because we contribute as individuals to a collective mass of individuals. So these are the, these are the ways that overlap, right? It overlaps that these things work for everybody. Cleanliness is a, is a great place to show overlap. I know in, in, uh, in Muslim circles, they like to talk about how the West was not really you know, civilized until, especially in Spain, until they interacted with Muslims and then they started actually showering and washing their bodies and, you know, a lot of the stuff they learned from the Muslims had to do with cleanliness, just basic cleanliness. So it's, it's the kind of thing that any culture will take and any culture will be like, yeah, we're cosmopolitan with, with cleanliness. They might not be cosmopolitan with deities <laughs> or, 
even how you dress. But in general, that's one of the greatest places to show overlap is in the, uh, in the, in the cleanliness of other cultures. And it, it, so it, my point is that it's everywhere, <clears throat> that this overlap stuff is everywhere. But to speak about it on the more fundamental level, which is where I'm going to be going from, obviously, even, you know, to be taken literally, because, you know, from the, even, from the word fund, fundament, fundamental, the, the, the very fundamental nature of the planet is where we're going. We're going to the deeper regions of the sea, and we're going to deeper regions of the, of the, uh, of the, of the strata of the crust. There's a lot of history right underneath us. If you don't know this, that the majority of geology and what's going on in the archaeology of the geology, the, the majority of that is unknown to humans. If you, did, if you didn't know that, please go look it up. It's one of the most amazing things to imagine. See, your imagination will cue you in to what someone's talking about. If you don't imagine what somebody's saying, why listen to them? If you need a little buzz in the background, I guess you can, un- you can use that. You can, uh, you can use somebody talking, but you, you're not really listening to what they're saying. I, I do that sometimes, and I'm, I usually bring it back and listen to what I missed. <coughs> but in general... You need to, you really need to be imagining what somebody's saying when you're, when you're following them. Because this is, this is where stories, where, where traditions and where, I guess, where friendship comes from. It's from imagination. Because if you don't imagine something about the person, then you don't become their friend because you don't try to confirm that or... Uh, I don't know deny it about them but it's imagination really brings us together as well we, can, we find things to do our imagination gives us humorous things to say which make the other person laugh they find our humor something like their humor you know friendship comes from imagination and if there is no imagination I'm sorry you probably don't have too many friends if if you have, yeah, it's, it's it's just really it's so it's so intrinsic to how uh, human beings work together. They work together with imagination, with creativity, with projects, with adapting. For this reason, overlap is of utmost importance. And I know I'm stressing the same point that I did in the other podcast, but it's because I'd like to make the next step that if overlap is so important than being almost being, you know, com- comparably decisive with, with, more, with categorizing the overlaps, it would also be important because it can't, it can't be that overlap's important, but we have no comprehensive understanding of it. And that's the point that I wanted to make is that having a comprehensive understanding of it is also going to be taken for granted as we go as as we advance on this podcast 
And a lot of people aren't going to like that. The more academic types aren't going to like that because they're going to want a comprehensive study backed up by a tradition which has been tested by a bunch of uh, skeptics, many of them many of them formed at first and then in the end a bunch of them fanatical until it finally shifts to a different paradigm. That's what they're going to want. Well, too bad. Because we can't talk about things if we have to wait for paradigms to shift. And if you, and if you think that the whole paradigm shift, the way it's been moving for the last hundred, two and three hundred years is, is good, I don't, I don't know if I agree. I don't think that it's a binary issue. It needs to be pushed to the other side. But I think that it is definitely something which warrants nuance. And so this is one of the attempts in this, in this podcast is to talk about how overlap is, is there and how we can actually start making more decisive moves based on information because the overlap and the evidence both present and past, confirm it and validate it. So I could talk about, like I'm saying, I could talk about little moral things or I could talk about the efficacy, you know, of Vedic cosmology, for example, how there, there are measurements which are very precise, but going back five to 7,000 years at least, this makes one question. What kind of instrumentation were they using back then? But even more fundamentally, you know, how did they get it? Maybe it wasn't instrumentation, but how did they get this information? And I think if you're, if you're looking for answers to things and you're looking for useful tools, you'd you would at that point consider going through more Vedic literature to see if other things stuck. And this is going to be that step I told you about that a lot of academics aren't going to like. Because I'm going to make that step as I have in my life and as many other people have. It's because if you see something work, you go back and you see... What else does it work with? I used to have these potions or these, you know, these, these tinctures, these mixtures that these guys, these, these like highway salesmen that, that would sell you like uh, a cure-all, what were they called? Tonics. They'd sell these tonics. They had a lot of different names. But they would sell these tonics and they'd have all kinds of stuff in it. I don't know what they'd have. They would be... Uh, I don't know if you know what colado is, but it was like a colado. It would have like, it was just like different herbs. Like they have clove and and peppermint and a lot of like, anyway, it's, it's one of these, it's just a tonic and you drink it and somehow it's going to fix everything. And that's, <laughs> that's what happens when you think that these things this is what happens when you go too far into the extreme of the side, and that's what scares the academics, is, the, is a cure-all tonic. Well, here he goes, but at the same time, you do need to see if ginger can work on two different sides of the body. Can it nourish the body and help the immune system? Ah, it turns out it can. How much can it? And that's, that's what I mean 
when I'm talking about making this step, is that we're making a step in no different way than many other scientific thinkers do. This is the kind of step that's going to help us to understand if we can make other steps, regardless of whether people know about these steps or they think we can, we'll make them if, if the information avails us to those decisions. So going back to the whole thing, restating here, you know, overlap is existing. Maybe it's existing a lot in different places. Maybe it's existing a lot in certain, in certain old traditions from Southeast Asia. And that's where the bulk of this is going to start to focus on. For example, you have a feathered serpent who appears all over the world in different cultures around 5,000, 6,000 years ago. And the most detailed, the most detailed stories are in India. And it's because this was one of the most cultured places on the planet at that time, where they were maintaining a good understanding of their, of their history, especially their current and their recent history. So there, there was an understanding of, of how government used to be and how government was and where government was going. So there wasn't a need to state that and it would be very, you know, unlike the Vedas to talk about the political state of the country unless it had to do with the specific story. And it does that at times. So in this one, it didn't. And it was talking of, and it was mentioning certain people who were on their way to see a dying king. Now, this king was, because India was in charge of the whole world, this king was basically technically king of the whole world. So when you put the, the details together and then you see who, who stopped him before he went to see the king and what, what did he say and what happened to him? He changed form. He changed the, from a snake to a person. And he can change forms. He can change into the snake. So who is this person? And you, you, if you read the story and it's, a, it's, it's not... It's, it's in a, one of the most respected Vedic literatures. Um, it's in the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's in the Bhagavat Purana. So, he, this person is going to take the throne, basically. And we, and we know this, if you read the story enough and you see what's going on, you think about it within the, within the context of five, six thousand years ago. The way the sages are speaking, they understand the geopolitical nature of the world in that time. And they know who this person is going to see the king. They know what that means. So if you, if you read into that, which we should, because the Vedas asks, there are four different ways to read into each verse. Indeed, if you're into Sanskrit, you could say that there are four different ways to interpret certain Sanskrit words. Not even certain. You could say a lot of Sanskrit words could be interpreted more than two ways. Some of them more than four. So there's, there's a way for you to feel comfortable reading into these stories to see what's going on. As long as you understand where the reading in and the speculation is going. Is that 
you're speculating as to <clears throat> who exactly it was going to see the king. You're not speculating as to if someone was going to see the king. That's where the speculation is, is unwarranted and just, just, you know, out of bounds. So who was going to see the king? And I'm not going to answer this question right now. I'm going to point out, and even in the podcast, when I make the podcast, I'm going to point out that at the same time and right after, it seems that the feathered serpent starts to take all this control. Right after the, this king dies, this feathered serpent takes control in South America, in Egypt first, and all through Europe, and in the East. The serpent becomes a very, not just the serpent, the feathered serpent becomes a very, very prominent symbol and character within folklore and mythology all over the world. Around 5,000 years ago, South America, Quetzalcoatl, you have a different name for these guys in different places, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same person or a number of people all using the same technique or who knows, some, somehow related and that's all speculation. Like I'm saying, there's ways to speculate within this that are safe. And there are other ways to speculate, which are just going to lead you off, off of the whole understand the whole, the whole search for truth and, and, and knowledge. What we're looking for is information and knowledge in this. Again, overlap. So that's an example. Because when you understand where the, uh, who this person was, what their, what their intentions were, why they would want to create uh, traditions and have followers, etc. Who was this feathered serpent interesting? You know, this, this person, who was this guy? Then, then you start to see the influence through the ages where it goes. But that's, again, that's not where I want to go. I just want to point out, and then we'll move on to another subject. I want to point out just that there's a lot there's a lot of overlap with the feathered serpent at that point all over the world in many traditions and of the most reliable traditions is the Vedic tradition it's one of those traditions that it's going to be hard for you to prove these things wrong many of them already been proven right for years I think almost for 80 damn, at this point, 90 or 100 years, they were trying to say that the Vedas is wrong about how far the earth is to the sun. And I think, I'm, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but I'm going to give approximates. I think at the beginning of the last century, they were thinking the, the sun was four, you know, four million miles away. And I think later... Even recently in the 80s, they kept getting bigger. And in the 80s, I think they were like, well, it's 23 million miles away. And then they finally found out it's 93 million miles away. And that's the exact number the Vedas has had for the distance from the sun to the earth for more than 7,000 years. Because that's in the Surya Siddhanta. The Surya Siddhanta is older than 7,000 years. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can look for to, to find this out, too, if, you, if you're a doubter. 
just look into satellite photography and the Saraswati River. This should be ample evidence enough for people to understand how old the Vedas is. The Vedas talks about the Saraswati River in many places like a raging, coursing river. Beautiful, large, fresh water. And they know from satellite photography that the Saraswati River was a river that existed. But 5,000 years ago, the Saraswati River was but a trickle. And 7,000 years ago would have been the time when the Saraswati River was dying. So to be speaking about the Saraswati River like a, a living, live, clean river means that that was a different time. You could say it might even be 12,000 years ago we're talking, 10,000 years ago, 8,000 years ago. But at the very least, we're going to say 7,000 years ago and then claim that they were embellishing about how the river was. The river wasn't really coursing. It was, it was turning into a trickle. It was dying in a lot of places, but they were embellishing. That's going to be the, the doubter version, that the, that the sages were lying. They were embellishing a little bit. Saraswati River wasn't really that big. Yeah, but let's say it was big. Let's say it was raging. That means the Vedas goes back at least 10, 12,000 years. So if this is going to be my only piece of evidence, I'm going to have to put that on the back burner. But turns out there are carvings on temples in the Middle East and Turkey, which are about 12,000 years old. And those carvings can only be described as visual depictions of Vedic gods. So it's interesting how you have the Saraswati River existing 12,000 years ago, mentioned in the Vedas, and you have carvings of Vedic gods in Turkey from 12,000 years ago. That's enough. That's enough, my friends, to, to start to take some nice confident steps in that direction. And I think for anybody, just I'm just giving you two right off the top of my head. I'm not sitting here with a, I'm sitting here with my eyes closed in the middle of a room. And I'm thinking about these things just because at one point I was behind a laptop reading these things or a book and I'm just passing them on to you. But you'd be surprised if you look yourself, how much of this is out there and how much you could find just yourself. See, I think what is more important about human beings than, than doing, you know, a couple of them doing cool things is that they all do cool things. It's not that we have some, some cool people in the human race. It's that all of us are cool. We're all doing something cool here or there. Each one of us could have a movie made about our life. And it would, it would definitely require for us to see how cool our life is. But once we see how cool our life is, each one of us could have a movie made about our life because each one of us has something awesome that should be celebrated that's happened in our life that anybody, that anybody would be moved by. Anybody 
would be inspired by. So to inspire and to move is kind of the, the whole point of this. It's kind of the whole point. But yeah, as we move on, there's going to be some fun details because there's so much overlap. There's so many fun things to talk about. There is just a wealth of information right now that people have not really... We're, we're, they haven't connected any of this information. We're recently, as, as the technological age just, just ramps up even more and more and more, I mean, people don't know how... People don't know when this is going to end. People keep trying to make predictions of how the future goes, but as it keeps going, there's going to have to be some kind of understanding of where we're going and what is, what is actual information that's locked down is what, what is just speculation. That's what this is, uh, a, this is attempting to do with a certain number of subject matter is to, is to kind of bring things together and say, okay, this right here, this, is, this looks kind of solid. And I would like, obviously, like in all social media, I'd like for people to interact. I don't think that it's a very popular thing to interact, but I think it's what we need to do. We need to interact with each other with information. If that means you call bullshit, then call bullshit. I appreciate that. I think it's about interaction, not about you know, you call bullshit and you just, you, you can't be bothered. Because then you're just being disingenuous with yourself. Because if, if I'm going to call bullshit on you, I mean, it's either that you're, I have, I have studied it, the subject, enough to feel confident calling bullshit and just ignoring you. But there are, there are a certain number of subjects that I know that I'm not going to be able to call bullshit on and I'm either going to just admit I'm not interested, you know, or I'll try to listen and see, you know, what is, what is going on there. I'm, I'm shocked a lot of times how many people are already figuring out the way they feel about things. And it's, I mean, I've been that way my whole life as a little kid was, I was always not indecisive. I'm not indecisive. Once I figure something out, I know what I want. But I was like, I, a lot of times I was still figuring something out and I was looking and people were already deciding. I don't think I want to be like them. I don't think I've ever wanted to be like them. It just makes more sense to me that by, I don't know, you know, apparent trepidation was better than knee-jerk decisiveness. And I don't think it was indecisive for me to be, you know, how do you say, collating or processing the information. So this is all about processing some information here out loud. So I'm going to pass a lot of this on for us to talk about, not for you to listen to. And, I mean, if, if you really, if you agree or you want to know about it, I guess get in contact with me or make a podcast your own. These are actually really easy to do. Just to throw one off there and pass it my way and I'll listen. But moving on, I think it's time to, to pick up one of these subjects and go in. I might actually, 
make a video to go along with it. We'll see what happens. But until then, may you have an inspired and wonderful day.